0: <clears throat> All right. there we go. All right, this morning uh is part three so if you're if you've been following along or if you're new today, um, then this is part three of a three week teaching series, and so it's helpful to have um, heard the, the last two weeks um, because we're, we're looking at something today that's dependent upon what we've already heard and learned. Um, and so I've titled this three-week teaching series, Walk This Way. And part one, uh, we looked at verses 17 through 19, and that's the old way of life. And then part two, we looked at verses 20 through 24. That's the new way of life. And then today, part three, we're going to look at these verses that Andrew just read for us. And what's great about these verses is um, that Paul shares with us five very practical differences between the two ways of life. So it's very clear. Here's how one walks in the old way of life, and it's also very clear, here's how one walks in the new way of life. And the very reason that I've titled this series, Walk This Way, is because Paul's desire for the church is to walk in the new way of life. Now, to help us understand the difference between the two ways, Paul uses clothing imagery. And we've talked about that over these last two weeks. He uses these verses of putting off old clothes and putting on new clothes, the holy hand-me-downs from last week. Putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Last week, uh, I told the story of my sister-in-law buying a size 52 suit for my older brother. Not just a 52 jacket, but also a pair of 52 by 52 pants. Now, my brother's a big boy, but he's not that big. And one of my brother's comments about the suit was, and I quote, two people could fit into those pants. And I want to begin today with that statement in mind because it serves as a helpful way for us to think about the putting on of the new self. The new self that Paul here is calling us to put on is made for two because it's designed for relationship. It's created for community. As I've emphasized several times uh, through this year as we've looked at uh, this letter to the, the church in, in Ephesus, this letter is all about unity. Unity. It's all about unity. In the first three chapters, uh, Paul writes about what the church should believe about unity. And then in the second three chapters, Paul writes about how the church should behave in unity. But it's all about unity. It's the theme that runs throughout the entire letter. So to fully understand the teaching of Ephesians 4, I want to emphasize again that Paul is writing this letter with a specific purpose to bring unity to the church in Ephesus, a church that consisted of Jews and Gentiles. It would have been so much easier for the two groups just to have formed two separate groups. But the will of God... Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under the same head, Jesus Christ. And so, two separate groups is not an option for Paul. And I cannot highly emphasize enough that the differences between these two people groups. There was not only uh, an ethnic and an ethical barrier between these two groups, but there was a literal barrier that was built separating them from one another at the temple. There was the wall of hostility, as Paul refers to it uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. But that's what the old self does when we have relationship problems with someone else. We build a wall of hostility between us. I've always said, if the cross of Jesus Christ can break down the wall between Jew and Gentile, then take hope the cross of Jesus Christ can break down relationship walls in your life. Listen, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, that Bringing people together was the purpose for the coming of Jesus. That's the very purpose. He came to bring people together. In the context of his letter, it's the bringing together of the Jew and Gentile. Let me read again to you verses 14 through 18. Listen to what Paul writes here. For he, Jesus Christ, he himself is our Peace who has made the two, Jew and Gentile, one group and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, the wall of hostility that's been built to separate these two people groups by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, One new humanity, one new self, depending on your translation, out of the two old men, the two old groups of humanity, the two old selves, thus making peace. And in this one man, this one body, this one self, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him, this verse 18, this great Trinitarian verse, for through Jesus we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so this beautiful text, in these verses Paul tells us Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new self out of the two, out of the two old men or the two old selves. And Jesus accomplished this purpose through the cross. And if you recall, when we studied Ephesians chapter 2, there were three ways he did this through the cross. First, he destroyed old hostility. He himself broke down those relational walls that had been built between the people groups. Second, he created new humanity. He purposefully made one people group out of the two. And he reconciled through humility. That's the only way. The only way for two to become one is reconciling through humility. So the old self of the Jew and the old self of the Gentile walked in their separate selfish ways, deeply divided from one another, and the new self is formed by the coming together of the Jew and the Gentile in Christ. And I give you that background once again because I think it's critically important to understand that context when you study chapter 4 because there's a connection. When we know this, this, when we know that this letter is all about unity and that the purpose of the cross of Jesus Christ, according to Paul in chapter 2, is to bring together two people into one, then we hear the call to put off the old self and to put on the new self a little more clearly. You see, to put off the old self, is to reject any kind of behavior or conduct that destroys unity. That's what it means to put off the old self. Any behavior, any conduct, any characteristic, any attitude, any mindset that destroys unity, he wants us to put it off. And to put on the new self is to receive any kind of behavior or conduct that builds unity, that creates relationship, that strengthens unity. Because this new garment, this new self that we put on is, in fact, made for two people. It's designed for relationship and created for community. Last week, we learned how to walk in the way of Christ. We put off, we're made new, we put on, we reject, we renew, we receive. This is the way disciples of Jesus are to walk every day for the rest of their lives. And what we learn about this way of walking is that it's, it, too, is the way that community is built. It's how unity is formed in a church. We put off any behavior that destroys community. We put away any conduct that hurts our relationship with others. We put away any attitude that would discourage unity and cause division. And we put on behaviors and conduct that builds community. We put on Attitudes and mindsets that helps our relationship with others. Any attitude that would encourage unity and heal division, we put that on. Man, in this message, this word is for us in such a time as this. Man, we live in a time where there's so much disunity And discouragement and division. It's unlike any time I can remember in my lifetime. So there's this unity vacuum, there's this void. And the church has a great opportunity to step up and to step into this void by walking in the way of Christ, by putting on this new self. And to get us thinking in this way, in verses 25 through 32, Paul shares with us five concrete examples of what putting off the old self and putting on the new self looks like. And this is great. It's really great. It's so practical. It's really kind of a guide for building unity. It includes both a how to do it and how not to do it. All of these qualities mentioned in these verses have to do with our relationships with others. Each one emphasizes putting off a quality that hurts our relationship with others and putting on a quality that builds our relationships with others. Because if two people groups, or for that matter, two people, are going to live together in unity, whether at work or in the church, in marriage, on a sports team, then there has to be an intentional putting off of the old self and putting on of the new self. So let's look at these. Like I said, they're just all really super practical, and I hope. Um, will speak directly into your life as you think about relationships in your life. Relationships that are a challenge. Relationships that are hard. I pray that the Holy Spirit will use these practical, concrete examples to speak into your life the way of Christ. First, Paul says to put off the lie and put on the truth. That's verse 25. Put off the lie, put on the truth. That's, that's how it literally reads in the Greek. Put off the lie. Many Bible commentators think this is listed first because nothing is more destructive to relationships than lying. John chapter 8, John states that the devil from the beginning has had nothing to do with truth because there's no truth in him. According to his own nature, he lies because he's the father of lies, meaning that the lie originated with him. The reason we lie is because the evil one, the devil, originated it. Lying. It comes from him. There's no truth in him. He's 100% lie. On the other hand, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 that it's impossible for God to lie. That's not even a possibility. So the contrast is astounding. You know, we learned last week that the old self is continually being corrupted, in verse 22, Paul tells us, by its deceitful desires. Lying and deception corrupts the old self. And unfortunately, we live in a world where deception has become commonplace in our day. Um, I was reading recently of a study done by the University of Massachusetts that revealed that 60% of adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. Now, they may not call it lying. Instead, they might call it exaggerating or misremembering. But truth is the foundation of all meaningful relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. Trust is crucial for building community. Paul writes at the end of verse 25 that we're members of one body. We're members of one another. You see, he gives this extra motivation. He gives another reason to why we should put off the lie and put on the truth. Because the only way that we can be members of one another, the only way that that a husband and wife can be members of one another, the only way that we here in this church family can be members of one another, the only way that you... Maybe you're part of a sports team, and the only way that you can be members of one another is by trust. Trust is always the relational glue. There has to be truth. You've got to trust one another. That's the only way that we can be members of one another, to put off the lie and to put on truth. I need to be able to trust you. And so Paul says, put off the lie. Put on the truth. The lie is the old way of life. Truth is a new way of life. Second, verse 26, he says, Put off hostile, that word that's short for hostility. Uh, put off hostile, put on reconcile. Let me explain. Put off hostile, put on reconcile. Look, even the best of friends and the best of spouses are going to have moments when one becomes angry with the other. Now, Karen's never been mad at me, but I'm kidding. If you think I'm being serious. um, The question is, how are you going to respond When you're angry, when somebody's angered you or someone's hurt you, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do when you're angry or hurt by someone else? Man, Paul's advice here is so practical, so very relational, because our old self just wants to sit in it, wants to stew in it, wants to let it simmer for a while. But Paul's advice is to deal with it immediately. Do not let the sun go down. Ephesians 4:26 is some of the greatest relationship advice in the history of mankind. Do not let the sun go down. And he gives two reasons why. First, Paul writes: do not let the sun go down on literally. Your irritation, that's what that word means, your irritation. Now, as I've thought about that this week, it's made me think of one cause of great irritation in my life is when something gets in my eye. Am I right? How do you respond when something gets in your eye? You just continue doing what you're doing and act like it's not there? Not me. I freak out. I stop everything. I go to extreme measures. I do nothing else until I get whatever's in my eye out. I know my son, my JP, my 17-year-old, I know what he's thinking about right now. There was a moment several years ago when he was shooting basketball out in our backyard. And we, we, had, a, we had a chain net. It's really a dumb idea to have a chain net. It kind of sounds cool when the ball swishes through it, but it really tears up your ball, really, like a, a basketball going through this metal. You know, it tears your ball up. Anyway, he's, he's down underneath getting a rebound, and as the ball goes through, a piece of that metal net, like, kicks off of that thing and goes directly down into his eye. And so in one of my great parenting moments, I told him just to suck it up. No, it's not what I did. It's not what I did. No, we I mean we we stopped everything. He was supposed to be at a youth event and he didn't go to the youth event, and it was late on a Friday, I believe, and we had to get him into one of these 24 hour places because we weren't gonna we weren't gonna do anything else until we got that piece of metal net out of his eye because it's an irritant. It's an irritant. And we cannot allow anger to linger because it's an irritant. Just like we would not go to bed with something in our eye, Paul says you must not go to bed with anger in your heart because it's an irritant and it's toxic and it will poison your heart and it will lead to resentment it will lead to bitterness and it will lead to broken relationships. Every wall of hostility that's ever been built between two people, the first brick that's laid is anger. It's where it starts. Paul says, Don't let the sun go down on it, it's an irritant. The second reason to deal with it immediately is verse 27. To not make a place for the devil. Interestingly, you have all the attitudes and characteristics uh, listed in these verses. Paul writes that it's anger. It's anger that gives the devil a place in your life. That's where he resides, that's where he likes to come and hang out. Anger, it gives him a place to work and operate. Now, for those of us who are believers, God works and operates in our hearts and in our minds. So the devil can't work in our hearts. He doesn't have a place there. He can't work in our minds because he doesn't have a place there either. He cannot be where God already is. Amen? But when we get angry, Aha! Now he has a place. One writer calls anger the Trojan horse that allows the devil through the door of our hearts. So whatever has caused our anger, deal with it. Not give the evil one room in our hearts. And so we put off hostile. Any, we just put it off. We don't linger in it. We don't allow it to be that first brick laid for that wall of hostility be built between me and somebody else. Instead, we put on reconcile. We allow anger to be to reconcile something in this relationship. Something's gone wrong. Something's not good. Whatever has caused us to get angry, We don't let it linger. We deal with it before the sun goes down. We make it right. Work it out. Extreme measures, whatever you need to do, even when you don't feel like it. Talk it out. Get it done. That's the second. We put off hostile, put on reconcile. Third, verse 28, we put off get and put on. Give. This is a good one. It's been said that the real measure of your heart is bound up in whether it's a heart that wants to get or a heart that wants to give. This verse is really just about a selfless mindset, a selfless attitude instead of a selfish one. You know, it's one of the best examples of a 180 degree change in all of the New Testament. Right? One who was a thief gives up stealing, gets a job, works honestly with their own hands so that they might have something to share with those in need. Really? That has to be the Lord. That has to be the work of Jesus Christ in that person's life. It's a 180 degree change. Instead of taking from others to care for your needs, you share with others to care for their needs. It's an amazing transformation. Jesus said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that's not a pithy statement to go on a Hallmark card. It's not an ideal way of life only meant for heaven. That's the way of life for the new self. With this being the new way of life, there's now even a a new motivation for work. A person now works in order to have something to share with those in need. The purpose of work for the new self is not selfish gain, but to benefit those who are in need. And we see the early church in this new self, working to care for the needs in their community. And again, it's not just about money. It's about mindset. It's about an attitude. It's it's putting off selfish and putting on selfless. It's putting off get and putting on give. Fourth, verse 29, is put off hurt, put on help. Put off hurt, put on help. Let me read verse 29 to you again. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. The proverb writer said, the tongue has the power of life and death. Another proverb reads, the words of the fool are like thrusts from a sword. They hurt. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. They help. Words can either kill and destroy relationships or strengthen and encourage relationships. Now, the word that's translated in verse 29, unwholesome by the NIV 84 or evil, depending on your translation, is a word used of spoiled fish or rotten fruit. It's kind of a vague word, but we can know specifically what kind of words we're to put off by thinking the opposite of the kind of words Paul says we're to put on. We're to put on words that are helpful for building others up. We're to put on words that benefit those who listen, literally words that give grace to those who hear. Those are the words we're to put on, so in turn, we're to put off words that are hurtful, put off words that tear others down, words that do not benefit those who listen. You see, this is not so much about cursing or bad language, This is specifically about language that's used that hurts relationships. Paul tells us in verse 30, it's this kind of language that grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to connect verse 30 to verse 29. Don't take verse 30 off in its own little context and out of context and use it however you'd like. Paul says it's when we use language, when we use words that tear someone else down, when we use words that divide, when we use words that hurt and are harmful to others, this grieves the Holy Spirit. Do you realize what... The power of this verse. Do you realize what Paul's saying here? To grieve is to take something very personally. It means to cause sorrow, to cause pain, to cause distress. Look, that's why we know it's so much more than just a curse word or using a bad word that causes the Holy Spirit to grieve. Listen, God's heard plenty of terrible language. He's not going to grieve if you let a bad word slip when you hit your thumb with a, with a hammer. You know, this happens often uh, during my shift at Trader Joe's. But uh, one of my, one of the members of the crew will let a word slip and then uh, they'll recognize Barrett in the room. Aha, Barrett. Didn't notice me before. And they all know what I do for a living, and it's it's unmistakable, you know. It's like, oh, Barrett, if I had had known you were here 10 seconds earlier, I wouldn't have said, you know, I'm like, hey, no harm, no foul. You're good. You're good. And it's not that I'm pro-cussing. I don't want you to hear that. There's just bigger issues. There's bigger things. And what grieves the Holy Spirit here, what grieves my heart, is when someone used hurtful words that destroys relationships, causes division, ends marriages, brings disunity. These kind of words grieve the Holy Spirit because the role of the Holy Spirit is to build relationships. We just learned back at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, the Spirit has been given to bring unity. It's the very reason. It's the primary reason. The Holy Spirit has come with its fruit to bring unity among people, to bring unity among us in God and with one another. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of unity. And so that when we speak words that hurt unity, that cause division, that destroy relationship, this grieves the Holy Spirit. And then fifth... Verses 31 and 32, put off malice, put on grace. Put off malice and put on grace. In these two verses, Paul creates kind of a final list of put off and put on. In summary, the old self wants bad to happen to others. The new self wants good to happen to others. That's when you know that there's been a change in your heart. When in your mind, in your deepest soul, when someone else has good happen in their life, you celebrate with them. You don't wish that, you know, because it's happened. Something good happened to somebody else, and you're kind of like, hmm. I kind of wish they hadn't got that job kind of wish they'd have some bad. That's the old self. See, the old self wants bad to happen to others. The new self wants good to happen to others. And so Paul says, get rid of these. Get rid of this old self. And the verb that he uses here, this get rid, it comes with this sense of urgency. Same kind of urgency that he's been using. Don't let the sun go down. Get rid of this stuff. This stuff will destroy you. This old self will corrupt you. It will destroy you. Paul says, get Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of rage and anger. You know, interestingly, we've been talking about this at our house this week. It's such a great word picture. Uh, but in my studies this week, the word that's most commonly translated as anger in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word for nose. Literally, that's what it, that's what it means. If you just were to read it, it, it means nose. But then you put it in the context, and it's anger. Isn't that a great word picture? Because when someone's angry, what do we do? We flare our nostrils. Right? Kind of snort. How many of you have, you know, have a little toddler at your house maybe that does this right here, flares those nostrils, snorts a little bit when they're angry? And Paul here says, put off your nose. Put it off. Use that one, mom and dads. Put off your nose. Put it off. Put off anger, rage. He says, brawling, that's how the NIV 84 translates it, brawling. What's that mean? Wrangling, the NRSV. The KJV actually says, clamor, and I think that's a little closer to it. It literally describes the person who likes to scream and shout when they're mad. Clamor. Put it off. There's some football coaches on the sidelines that need to put off clamoring. Slander. It's the word for blaspheme. This is using really abusive speech toward one another. And then all forms of malice, malice is a, All-inclusive word meaning anything done in word or deed to harm someone else. The old self wants bad to happen to others, and there's no place for malice in the new self. Instead, Paul tells us here in verse 32 that we're to put on the kind of behavior that we see in Jesus Christ. The new self wants good to happen to others. We're to be kind to one another. We're to be compassionate to one another. We're to forgive each other. Literally, we're to give grace to one another. We show grace to other with our words in verse 29 and with our actions in verse 32. And so, we're to put off any behavior that destroys community. Any conduct that hurts our relationship with others, any attitude that would discourage unity and cause division, and we're to put on behavior that builds community, put on conduct that helps our relationship with others, put on attitude that encourages unity and heals division. And my question for us as we conclude this three-week series is, what do you need to put off? And what do you need to put on? Paul says, walk this way, this new way of life. It's the way of Christ. Spend time with him. Think about him. Learn Christ. Know Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to change you as you encounter the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Fathers, thank you. Thank you for your words. Father, I pray that you have used these ancient words uh, just to open up our hearts, to open up our hearts. We're thankful for this call, this call to unity, this call to relationship, this call to love others, this call away from the old self and to this new self of unity and relationship and community. So, Father, we we pray that even through the opening of your word, through the action of your Holy Spirit today, Father, that we have been made new, that we've been made more into the likeness of Christ. Lord, show each one of us this old self, the part of the old self that, that needs to go, Right, and, and, and it's, it's, it's something that we want to have some urgency. This, this, this text puts some urgency on it, stuff that we can't let linger. And, Lord, man, we put on the, the, the new self. Lord, just lead us in that process, I pray, so that we can walk in the way of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, this whole process can't happen if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. It can't. It's just, it it doesn't work that way. You're You're just gonna come to a dead end every time trying to do this on your own. It isn't gonna happen. And so if you're here this morning and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, if Jesus Christ doesn't fill you, if Jesus Christ isn't the reason you get up out of bed every morning, if he's not your everything, then we wanna encourage you to make to make him that to allow him to come into your life and save you from your sins and to live here and do this great work of trans transformation do, i mean when you hear about this old way of life do you want that do you hear that and think oh yeah that's that's what i want or do you want this new way of life he's come He's came, Paul tells us, for the very purpose, to bring us together, not separate us. So come today, this morning, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, with love to baptize you into Jesus, and you begin this wonderful life with Christ today, let's stand together and sing.